Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this podcast is Dr. Corinna Hawkes, uh, who has a PhD in environmental and ecological geography from the University of London, has been very involved in the global scene with nutrition policy, worked with the World Health Organization in Geneva, and most recently has done work at the University of Sao Paulo in Brazil. Welcome, Corinna. Glad to have you here. Thank you. So we're going to talk about food marketing today, and there's such interesting work going on around the world on this topic tremendous growing concern about it, I know. But let's start with talking about how marketing has changed. I mean, back when I was a boy, it was pretty simple. It was Saturday morning cartoon television advertisements for sugared cereals, but that was really about it. Um, How have things changed today, and how does that create challenges for getting on top of the marketing picture globally? Well, marketing has become very, very sophisticated, as you indicate. And I, I think the, the, the best way to, to understand it is to, is to see how the marketers, the food manufacturers, and so on, um, target different groups uh, differently. Um, they say, we have a product. They position the product. Um, that first of all, they segment the market. They say, okay, we've got these different types of consumers in this particular market. Um, and then uh, they position a product, they develop a product which they feel will meet one of these segments, and then they target the product um, at those different segments. So you're going to get different advertising targeted at women, targeted at people of, of, of different ethnicities, of different income groups, uh, and not only just those kind of social demographic factors, but the people who have a predisposition to, to like convenience. So you have all these these funny terms like convenience seekers mm-hmm. and uh, kitchen avoiders um, of, of the types of people that they target and then they position their product and they market them uh, very closely. I was just looking at some women's magazines here in my trip to the United States and, it, and it's interesting the way that they're marketing indulgence together with calorie control mm-hmm. um, and and using terms like give in about a jello product which uh, was probably targeted at children at one point and they're now moving to adults so they become much more sophisticated much more flexible. Okay. And also the, the, the number of ways that marketing is done has really increased a lot. What mm-hmm. do you see these days? Well, there's absolutely clear evidence that um, people are con- consumers are getting uh, tired of, of, of food advertising on television or relatively, relatively speaking. They're videoing, uh, they're, they're putting things on the DVD and then they're flicking through the advertising. There's the technology to do that. So uh, the, uh, the companies have got to go and, and find another way to market to kids. And what with the incredible um, um, rise of technology, on the, our digital technology, the internet technology, cell phones, um, they're, they're moving towards those kinds of technologies. And viral marketing, of course, uh, word of mouth marketing is, a, is another form. And um, and so marketing is everywhere. I was on a train the other day in the, in, in, in the UK a, a few weeks ago and uh, I went through a tunnel in, in the train from the in, in the train from the airport to the middle of London, and I went through the tunnel, and there was the advertising inside a dark tunnel, mm-hmm. and it really is absolutely everywhere. Well, and you were talking about differentiating and, and segmenting the market, mm-hmm. so it's to the point now where 
marketing can be targeted at one person. Mm-hmm. Isn't that okay? That's absolutely correct. For example, supermarket loyalty cards um, provide detailed information about that consumer. And it means that they can then target a specific leaflet, a specific cell phone message at that particular person. And it's the same with the internet, with internet usage, people putting their details into the internet. They can then um, digitally um, organize the, the marketing and, and target it directly at that person. So when, when you did your presentation at the Rudd Center, you, you made comments such that, I mean, to the, to the effect of that a lot of consumers and government officials and health authorities are getting fed up with mm-hmm. this. What, 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 what makes you say that and what evidence of that are you seeing? I recently completed a survey um, um, as part of a, of a project called Polmark, which was a, a European Commission project, and I did a, a comprehensive survey of um, people, mainly in, in health departments, who are concerned about this issue, working in this issue, responsible for this issue. And you're seeing an incredible, particularly in European countries, including very small and poor European Union uh, countries, um, just uh, put, having developing national plans on obesity and including it. And when I talk to these, there's a clear sense of this is just not right. This is just should not be happening. And we're sick of it. And we try and get the industry to do something. And they want to do what they want to do. But they want to do something. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's very, it comes across very, very clearly that, that they're sick of it. And, and, and for this reason, um, I think the WHO received a mandate um, to develop some recommendations on food marketing to children. Well, let's talk about that because you've played a major role in that. Now, you've been involved with the World Health Organization for a number of years on issues related to food marketing and have written some very influential reports um, that I think have had a big impact around the world. Uh, but something has happened recently with that you've been involved in the WHO. That's right. That? In May 2010 and May of this year, the, the uh, member states of the, the countries that are members of the World Health Organization passed um, a, a resolution which encourages uh, the, the countries, all countries around the world, to implement a set of recommendations that were drafted by the Secretariat at the, at the World Health Organization. And that received input from the a committee I chaired um, and an expert committee I chaired, as well as um, input from the civil society and, and the private sector. And what those recommendations do is to try and encourage governments around the world and provide governments uh, guidance um, to those governments on how they should craft a policy on, on food marketing to children. And so what would be an example of some of the recommendations and what would be the, what, how would you like to see the marketing landscape change? Well, we were very clear in, in the advice that we provided to the Secretariat that we believed that the purpose of a policy on food marketing to children should be to reduce the exposure and power of food marketing. This is not just about this quite vague concept of responsible marketing. It's about having a clear outcome that kids are exposed to less advertising and the, and the advertising that does exist, the marketing, sorry, that does exist is less powerful. So it's not just about reducing the amount that they're exposed to on, on television, but it's making sure that it's also less powerful. A second uh, important recommendation was that schools should be commercial-free zones. There should be absolutely no marketing of, of food of, 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 of food in, in schools, of foods high in saturated fats and so on um, and and that all efforts should be evaluated another important recommendation that uh, the WHO gave was that it should be governments 
who set the standards. Uh, when you look at a policy on food marketing to children, you have to set the age of the child, the nutrient criteria of the foods that are covered, the, the way that the audience is defined, the specific marketing techniques. And we recommended, and WHO recommended, that it should be governments who set those standards. Now, they could be implemented on a voluntary basis, they could be implemented on a self-regulatory basis. It doesn't matter. Um, the, the point is that governments should set those standards. And we also understand, uh, WHO understand, that many countries don't have capacity at this point. So while they said that a comprehensive approach to restricting marketing is the best way, um, to do it, the most effective way to do it, as in you restrict all types of marketing, um, that um, if governments don't feel they're at that position right now, they can take a stepwise approach of picking off certain forms of marketing and saying, we're going to restrict that. All right. There, were a, you, there was a lot embedded in all the things you just said, and I'd like to pick out a few mm -hmm. pieces that I think are particularly important. Um, you said that governments should set the nutrition standards for mm -hmm. what's, what can be marketed to children. Mm -hmm. Um, is that in response to self-regulatory pledges the industry has made already and where they've set their own standards? And is that found to be wanting? Is that the reason for asking for government to do it? Well, um, the WHO, in, in setting that recommendation, I think were aware of the fact that there were many, many different nutrient standards set by, um, by industry. Um, and that it was going to be too confusing to have to deal with that situation and that the government should be the one with the expertise who's, quite frankly, making it easier for industry to implement something because then there's clear guidance and there's a level playing field. Um, so I think that the, the, the role of government was seen to be important there. What do you think about the argument that all this marketing might and marketing expertise could be harnessed for good for the promotion of healthy foods? Uh, I think it, it depends really what, what is defined as healthy foods. That's the importance of having a, a clear standard. Um, and uh, I, I, I think it is a, it's a difficult issue. Uh, one, one of the things I think is important is that marketing doesn't only concern foods which uh, are necessarily unhealthy but it does try to change if you like the way that we eat um, so it uses words as a, like like give in uh, like cave in like um, you can have more of this because it's low in calories so it, it kind of tries to um, affect our, our emotions and that means it affects our emotional relationship with food and, and I guess at the end of the day, that's my main concern about marketing, is how it affects our relationship with food. To me, food is a wonderful thing. It's a very positive thing in our lives. It should be a positive thing. It's necessary for human life. It's the source of enormous enjoyment. And, and that means we need to have a healthy emotional relationship with food. And, and I worry about marketing affecting that. And, of course, it doesn't matter what, what kind of food is marketed. It, it affects that relationship. So it's a tough issue that I think needs a lot of thought. You know, you reminded me of something, um, and I think you've stated it very nicely, that these marketing efforts by the industry go beyond the particular food that's marketed, but they also train people in ways to eat and when to eat and things like that. And So some of the American fast food companies now have been running advertisements to encourage late night eating. They call mm -hmm. it the Taco Bell company, calls it the fourth meal, which mm -hmm. encourages people to go out late at night for fast food. 
And one could make the claim that it's eating late at night at a fast food restaurant. That's the egregious part of the marketing, whatever they happen to market within the context of that ad. And it sounds like you're sensitive to that issue as well. I am, and I, I actually agree with that. Um, a few, uh, several years ago, I did a report for WHO looking at marketing techniques by the soft drinks companies and the, and the fast food companies outside of the U.S. in, in, in developing countries. And I found that um, Coca-Cola, for example, would would find uh, an occasion um, where people were celebrating, and they'd say, "We're going to we're going to target this occasion." So in Argentina, that was there's meal times where traditionally wine was consumed. They'd say, "We want to displace wine. We want to get Coca-Cola." Now it doesn't matter whether it's the Diet Coke or whatever Coke. They're trying to change um, the the kind of consumption habits and the consumption norms. What do you think about the argument that all forms of marketing to children of any product at all are unethical because they're preying on children before they're developmentally capable of understanding what's happening? I think that's an important piece of scientific uh, uh, of research, and, and it's and it's very important that we take uh, that that on board. And uh, I think there is an argument that um, all advertising or all marketing should for children under under the age of a certain age should be restricted. Uh, when, it, in, it, when it comes to food, however, I think that's a bit of a separate argument and an argument that in the, uh, that can be made to, to food. I, uh, with, with food, I think the interest is what, what's the outcome. So if it targets adolescents, for example, 16-year-olds, and the outcome is still that they're consuming more soft drinks than, than they should, I think there's also a case for saying, well, hang on a minute, maybe we need to care about this group also, even though they might fully understand the intent of the advertising. Okay, that makes sense. So what do you see happening on the global scene? What do you see happening around the world with various countries trying to take on this issue? So there are kind of two levels. There's sensitivity to it and recommendations and guidelines. Mm -hmm. And then there are things that could potentially go on that where government really gets involved and Mm -hmm. sets standards for what could be marketed or not. What Mm -hmm. do you see happening globally? Well, I think there were three things uh, to point out. The first is that more and more countries are developing policies in this area. The the review that I did, I think, identified um, 20 countries that now have uh, explicit policies. However, a second trend is that most of these policies are to encourage self-regulation by the industry because it's perceived as to be uh, the, the easier option and potentially effective. So, so they're, they're kind of figuring out um, whether industry can, can do this on their own with a bit of government hanging over them. And I think uh, that has potential, but it needs to be done better. Um, and, I, but I, and I think ultimately the government needs to be serious about legislation if that's not going to work. In the United Kingdom, a third trend is that in the United Kingdom, um, they have introduced a statutory uh, restriction on food marketing to children. And um, I, I think we're going to see more efforts in that regard when we start to see the results of, of, the, self, of the self-regulation and whether governments are happy uh, w- with that or not. But another, another key issue is that uh, the lobbying against any kind of government interference is, is huge. Uh, the, there were cases in, in Brazil was going to introduce a very comprehensive restriction that uh, will no longer be the case, the same with the case in, in France. So these, there are this strong lo- uh, and very effective lobbying against government intervention. So if I understood one of the comments you just made, it sounds like you're guidedly optimistic about 
industry being able to self-regulate, but only if government stands ready to jump in. They have to stand right. Yeah, I think anybody who works in marketing or business know understands that this is not that self-regulation occurs as a function of the threat of, of government intervention. All right, good. Well, thank you so much for your global perspective on this. It's nice of you to join us today. Thank you. Thank so our guest much. today was Dr. Karina Hawks. Uh, please visit our website at www.yalerudcenter.org for a variety of resources that the center offers uh, on, the, on many issues related to food policy, including a free email newsletter that goes out monthly and a list of the other podcasts that we recorded with outstanding guests. Thank you.